It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Whitney Lordson. Before this episode begins, I want to tell you about something a little time sensitive that I'm part of, which is a three-day virtual conference called Love Yourself First, How to Develop Supportive Friendships and Meaningful Relationships. This is really up my alley. I think it's up your alley too, given the topics that I cover. And this is actually something that I was invited to by a previous podcast guest, Coach Lee Hopkins, who did an episode with me in August 2022, invited me to speak and be part of this wonderful group of people. And the conference is taking place February 10th through February 12th, 2023. And there you can learn some different tactics to loving yourself, creating lasting connections that will enrich, enrich your life. This is a paid conference. And so full transparency. There is a small fee involved with it. And I have a promo code. The promo code is, let me pull it up, uncomfortable. 20. So uncomfortable, just like this might get uncomfortable, but uncomfortable 20. And you guessed it, that'll take 20% off the cost of the ticket. And I'll receive a small fraction of that. And the rest of the money goes towards running the event. And if you want to invite a friend to this and buy two tickets in the same transaction, you actually get a 50% off discount on the second ticket. So if you're looking to deepen your relationships, create more joy, affection, and really just learn from people like myself, from Coach Lee, all the amazing speakers that he has brought together for this, you can go to the link in the description. It's a little long. The full link is alwaysloveyourselffirst.eventbrite.com, and that's where you'll en enter that promo code uncomfortable twenty two zero. And I'll put it in the description of this episode and also in the show notes so that you can easily click through and check it out. See if it's a fit for you. Use a discount, invite your friends, share, spread the message if you would like. And now on to the episode. Hey, I am feeling really good right now. And it's so interesting because I think the previous week, the episode last Monday, I was talking about how I wasn't feeling very good. <laughs> and I mentioned that I wasn't entirely sure why I was feeling that way. It was the day after Thanksgiving. Yeah, it was mostly the time that I was not feeling good was the day after Thanksgiving and just dealing with overstimulation and feeling overwhelmed and tired and also the fluctuations in my body as a woman. So this episode is hopefully a nice little pivot from that and a reminder about the fluctuations that we take regardless of gender, biology and all of that, but just how life ebbs and flows so much. And I think in the wellness world, there's a lot of 
misrepresentation, I suppose, not in a full acknowledgement of the fact that as human beings, we shift a lot in our moods and, you know, just how we're feeling physically, our overall well-being is not stable. And just because one thing went well doesn't mean that it's going to be stable and consistent and you're just going to feel good just because you reached a certain milestone. I think I grew up thinking that that's what life was like, that if I just did this, then I would get that. If I just reached this point, then I would feel this way. And the older I get, the more I realize that's not true. But it's hard to escape from that sometimes. And I think that a lot of my past was showing that I still believed that. Like my past content, especially with Eco Vegan Gal, sometimes I feel a bit cringy. <laughs> Is that a feeling? I guess it's a feeling. I feel maybe a little bit embarrassed in hindsight about some of the messaging that I pushed and how it felt like very formulaic. But I just believe those things to be true. <laughs> you know? So I guess you can only speak on what you believe. And isn't that a great lesson too, that just because we believe something doesn't mean that it is the reality. And that's been a very humbling experience. Something that I really have leaned away from is assuming that just because something works for me means that it's going to work for you or someone else. We have to take into consideration so many factors. In fact, I think that comes up in the book that I'm going to reference today. I know I read that somewhere. So I'm going to dive into some things from this wonderful book called How to Keep House While Drowning, A Gentle Approach to Cleaning and Organizing. I think I referenced this in last week's episode too. And let's see here. I feel like it was one of the most recent quotes that I highlighted. But it could have also come from another book I'm reading called Wintering, The Power of Rest and Retreat in Difficult Times. Sometimes it's really hard for me to keep track of which quotes come from which books because I am reading so many at a time. And in fact, there is a quote from Wintering that feels relevant. The author, Catherine said, we are in the habit of imagining our lives to be linear, a long march from birth to death in which we mass our powers only to surrender them again, all the while slowly losing our youthful beauty. That is a brutal untruth. Life meanders like a path through the woods. We have seasons when we flourish and seasons when the leaves fall from us, revealing our bare bones. Given time, they grow again. It's just so beautiful. That wasn't the quote I was looking for, actually. There was another piece in one of the books about how our circumstances in general are different for different people. And I might not come across that quote amongst the quotes that I'm going to share with you today, but I just want to acknowledge it because I'm going to share some things that have been working for me. I'm going to share some positive elements and the momentum that I've built just in a few days and how far I've come because it hasn't even been a full week since I did my last recording. In fact, this episode is being recorded just like three or four days after the previous one that was out last week. And I can just see this enormous shift. And there's part of me that's thinking, wow, I've got it. I've come out of my funk. I'm good. But I also have the realization that I will be back in a funk again. I will have another low period. 
And that self-awareness of noticing how I'm fluctuating helps me from feeling shameful. That was something I touched upon last week was how there's so much shame in, in resting and rejuvenating and taking a break. There's shame in not feeling our best. As a society, we tend to really emphasize feeling good and it feels like we're striving for that. And of course we want to feel good, right? Like I don't think anyone strives to feel bad, but maybe they do. I can't assume. (laughs) That's part of the lesson, right? Not assuming what other people want. But I think biologically human beings are, and most animals, if not all, anything living is seeking pleasure and avoiding pain. So of course we want to go after the pleasure and the feeling good and all of that as much as possible and run away from the pain and the bad feelings and try to prevent it. But to have shame in the feeling bad, as well as to have that pride and that ego in feeling good, I think that can be detrimental too. And I just really want to acknowledge it. Regardless Some people do like to hear what works well for others. So I'm going to share with you some things that have come together in my life and the ripple effect that it has had. And these are are actually really minimal things. The biggest shift that I went through was the day after my last recording. So today's a Tuesday. I recorded the previous episode this past Saturday. And on Sunday, the day after that recording, I decided to do some tidying. I decided that I was feeling really frustrated with the state of my home. And yet it felt incredibly overwhelming to start. And I remember thinking I had the whole day free, zero plans, no work pressure. It had been the holiday just a few days previous. So it felt like an extended period of time. I felt like because of the holiday and the resting I did on Friday during my lull and the recovery from that lull on Saturday, like by Sunday, I was out of that funk and I just felt the space schedule-wise, mood-wise, time-wise to do something. But there was also this pressure to do something with that space. And I gave myself the opportunity to not do anything, even though I intended on it, even though I wanted to do it. I just thought if I can remove the pressure to do it in any particular way or even to do it at all, that might be helpful. And at some point, I thought, let me just start something. And I think my first step was to go into my bathroom, which I really wanted to address because every time I went to the bathroom multiple times a day, whether to brush my teeth, wash parts of my body, do my hair, use the toilet. Also, my dogs, a lot of her stuff is situated in there. And so she's often in the bathroom hanging out. She likes to hang out in there (laughs) for one reason or another. So I'm in that bathroom a lot and I didn't enjoy being in there. I felt like shame around it. And that's going to come up in this book, addressing the shame. I thought if I can just do one little thing in here, that'll feel enough. And so I don't remember exactly where I began. Maybe I just cleaned out the sink. I keep a sponge by that sink just for the sink. And I sprayed it with some cleaner and wiped it down. And then I unclogged the drain that's been clogged up for a while and annoying me. And then those two things felt good. So I think I started like tidying up the stuff around the sink and then tidying some things around the floor. And then I had to move some things from that sink into another space. 
So I went into this office space that I'm in and put something away. And while I was here, I thought, what if I can do one thing in this space too? And suddenly I was doing things. I was in the momentum and suddenly it started to feel good. My reward center and my brain started lighting up and I was like, this feels good. Let's do more. And it was this snowball effect that I felt many times, and maybe you can relate to this too, of just like everything just started to feel better and better and the momentum started. And next thing I knew in such a short amount of time, I had tidied up in a way that made me feel good. My office space felt better. The bathroom felt better. The bedroom space felt better. Like it just felt good. And then I vacuumed the floor and I decided to even clean my walls because I have this wall cleaner that's holiday scented. And I'm really into like making everything feel good for the holidays right now. And Just like spraying that in the walls and cleaning it down and making it smell good, opening the windows, you know, all of a sudden the air started to feel better and it was amazing. And this is no surprise. I'm sure you've experienced this too. Like most people know what it feels like to even just make a few changes and how the whole energy shifts. And now I have that momentum where because I did some cleaning, it's become easier for me to add to it every day. And I feel encouraged to do that because... I'm still in the momentum days later. And because things are tidier, it's easier to continue. And the big realization with all this is a reminder for you and myself, because even sharing things that work for us is a reminder for us to keep doing them. But I acknowledge the fact that you can know something like this and still not want to do it. I actually only feel this type of energy to clean a few times a year. And I know this about myself now. If I can remove the shame from that and say, I have trouble tidying and cleaning. This is really hard for me. And that's okay. That's something I want to get into with this book. So how to keep house while drowning is amazing. I have 70 highlights, quotes to share. Might not get to them all because that's a lot. But the book starts off by saying that being overwhelmed is not a personal failure. I think I referenced this in last week's episode too. So it's okay if you're overwhelmed by tidying, cleaning your house, keeping up your house, all of that. It's okay if you're struggling with that because you're feeling tired, depressed, overwhelmed. Some of these things, as Casey says... These may seem like non-complex tasks, but when you actually break down the amount of time, energy, skill, planning, and maintenance that go into care tasks, they no longer seem simple. And I think that's so important too. I know how to tidy and clean, and she references all these things as care tasks. I mean, they do seem simple conceptually, but when you think about the time that goes into them, It probably took me at least an hour to tidy up. I stopped paying attention because it felt so good and I didn't have a schedule that day. So I wasn't keeping time at all. But it took at least an hour, which is a good chunk of time. Many of us feel like we don't have enough time in the day. So an hour can feel like an immense amount of time to dedicate to a task. Energy is finite for many of us. My energy is constantly fluctuating. The skill involved too, right? Like, I mean, some women, I feel, well, let me take, I don't even know why I threw in the word women there. There's so much gender 
in our language when it comes to things like cleaning. I think I'm just referencing myself, but let's just say some people in general, like they just have a knack for cleaning. Maybe they really like it. Maybe they were taught by a parental figure. Maybe they took a class. Maybe they watch videos. Like there is skill involved, right? Like cleaning the toilet feels complex to me sometimes. Like what brush do you use? What solution do you use? And then determining, is it the right ingredients that align with your values? You know, how much money do you spend? Do you make your own? Like so much skill. And then the planning too. I did plan in my head at least to clean that day. And that took a lot. And then the maintenance too, to keep all of this up. This is not a simple task. Casey said, you need energy and skill to plan, execute, and follow through on these steps every day, multiple times a day, and to deal with any barriers that come up. You must have the emotional energy to deal with the feeling of being overwhelmed. That was kind of the theme of last week's episode, right? Like overwhelm in itself can be so intense because there are the layers of the thought that go on top of it. So for me, when I was feeling like I wanted to clean, but if I was too overwhelmed to even start... The first thing I need to do is have the emotional energy to deal with that feeling of being overwhelmed before I can do anything else. Casey says, you may also need the skills to multitask while working, dealing with physical pain or watching over children if you have them. I mean, even animals can be a lot to deal with when you're trying to clean. You must have the executive functioning to deal with sequentially ordering and prioritizing tasks. This is huge for me. I really struggle with executive functioning. In fact, that was one of the, I don't know if the term canary in a coal mine applies to this, but it was a clue to me that I am neurodivergent. When I first started exploring this, I thought I suspected ADHD because when I heard this term executive functioning, I thought, wow, that really sounds like me. And I want to get the official definition of executive functioning because I'm struggling to even describe it. It is in cognitive science and and neuropsychology, it is a set of cognitive processes that are necessary for the cognitive control of behavior, which is a really scientific term. (laughs) Executive function includes key skills like attention and working memory. It impacts our learning, our working in everyday life. Someone with Executive functioning challenges, according to Psychology Today, will find it more difficult than others in their age group to remember information, plan and execute tasks, keep time, keep items and information organized, and maintain motivation. They may also struggle with emotional impulse or attentional control. So for me, I'm fairly good at planning, but actually having the motivation to follow through with those plans can be really hard to actually execute on them. Very, very challenging. But planning is good for me. So planning was actually one of those things that might have been a mask for me as I examined my neurodivergence, like a coping mechanism. I became really good at planning because I'm not always great at executing. And actually, planning is just as valid as executing because you can partner with people. So if you have the opportunity to, if you have a willing partner involved, you can get somebody to execute for you. In fact, a lot of people, since we're talking about cleaning, like they hire a professional cleaning person to come in their home and do that. But you could plan that out if you have that executive function 
or they can do both for you. That's my dream. I would love to have some sort of house cleaning support, but that takes the money involved. And that's another element of all of this too, to keep in mind. Anyways, the element of executive function is, is really fascinating when it comes to all of this. Going back to Casey's book, she said, you must have the physical energy and time to complete these tasks and the mental health to engage in low dopamine errand or task, I would add, for an extended period of time, right? I talked about how my pleasure center was being really activated. But when I first start doing something like cleaning, that does feel like a low dopamine task because I'm dreading it because I've got all these mental barriers and I have to overcome that to get to the high dopamine experience. But sometimes we're doing things that never give us a high level of dopamine. So we have to have that physical energy, time, and mental health to engage in them. I think that's such a wonderful point that Casey makes. You must have the emotional energy and ability to process any sensory discomfort. And the senses are huge. I mean, something that I'm really learning about neurodivergence is like the smells involved, right? Like if your house, your home smells bad, I mean, maybe that's fine with you because you can't deal with the other things. But like, let's say you're cleaning a toilet or cleaning something like dirty dishes can smell absolutely awful. So you have to have the emotional energy and ability to process them in order to clean them right? There's sounds involved with things. Maybe the vacuum is overstimulating and you just can't handle it. What if textures and cleaning, like my hands get really dry from various soaps and things and that drives me crazy. So I have to have the energy to be prepared for that discomfort and then moisturize and on and on. I mean, there is a lot of sensory discomfort when it comes to cleaning. And this episode is not just about cleaning and tidying. You can apply this to anything. I mean, this book I'm referencing, my personal experiences are very related to cleaning and tidying, organizing, all of that. But it's not limited to that. That's not the lesson here. Casey also references laziness, as I talked about last week, the book, Laziness Does Not Exist. And Casey says in her book as well, do not think laziness exists. You know what does exist? Executive dysfunction, procrastination, feeling overwhelmed, perfectionism, trauma, amotivation, chronic pain, energy fatigue, depression, lack of skills, lack of support, and differing priorities. That's kind of one of those things that I was trying to bring up earlier where I think these are perfect examples of why we can't apply the same formulaic approach to pleasure, success, whatever, like the things that we're striving for. We have to keep in mind that a lot of people are dealing with at least one of those things. I deal with many of them. Like I mentioned, executive dysfunction. I procrastinate. Procrastination seems like the result of some of these things. <laughs> like it's not always separate. It's it's coming because of them, feeling overwhelmed. Perfectionism. I've gone through trauma. I have energy fatigue. Sometimes I feel like a lack of support. Sometimes I have different priorities. There's a lot of factors that go into those times where I'm feeling shameful, where I'm remembering uh, or when I'm falling under that myth, the laziness lie that Devin Price talks about in their book too. And then Casey talks about how ADHD, autism, depression, traumatic brain injury, and bipolar and anxiety disorders are just some of the conditions that affect 
executive function, making planning, time management, working memory, and organization more difficult. And tasks with multiple steps can become intimidating or boring. When barriers to functioning make completing care tasks difficult, a person can experience immense amount of shame. How can I be failing at something so simple, they think to themselves. The critical internal dialogue quickly forms a vicious cycle, paralyzing the person even further. Yes, absolutely experience this. Now, so many of these quotes that I'm reading right now are describing some of the experiences that I was mostly facing last week, right? So this week, having made this shift is really interesting to read through these because I can still identify with these struggles, even though I'm not experiencing them right now. And I think that's really key too, is we don't have to, in the present moment, be experiencing pain, shame, overwhelm, etc., to understand them, to relate to them. In the present moment, we could be vastly on the other side, but I also always have this looming feeling that that it's just around the corner again. That's uncomfortable and frustrating. <laughs> Sometimes that feels helpful, like, hey, Whitney, don't get too comfortable in your state of mind. <laughs> I wouldn't recommend thinking that way, but I will admit to it that I know that I struggle with a lot of these things that I'm listing out and sharing right now. And maybe that's because I have bought into the laziness lie. Casey Davis says that being labeled as lazy cements the belief that struggling to complete these simple tasks is, at its core, a moral failure. Maybe one of the reasons that I feel so good right now, having tidied up my home a few days ago and maintained some of that momentum, maybe I feel morally successful, right? I think that actually comes up in this book. Hmm. There's, I mean, there's so much in here. Casey talks about looking for a role to fill that would finally make me feel worthy of kindness and love and belonging. When I viewed getting my life together as a way for trying to atone for the sin of falling apart, I stayed stuck in, in a shame-fueled cycle of performance, perfectionism, and failure. I mean, that's something that I need to check myself on or want to check myself on in this moment is the momentum that I've experienced, this feeling right now of having my life together, is that part of the perfectionism trap that I've been caught in so much? Now, one thing in this book on another note, because I don't have the answer to that question yet, but on a different note, I am in a section of the book now with the quotes about tips that really started to help me out and really aided me a few days ago. Casey talks about finding your way of keeping a functional home, whatever functional means to you. This was huge when I was tidying up the other day because I started off with the things that felt most important. Like cleaning my sink wasn't really getting in the way of function, like on the surface level, at least. That's where I started because it was easy. But that cleaning that part led me to cleaning the drain and the drain was, which was kind of clogged up, that didn't feel functional because every time I would run the water, it, the sink would fill up and it'd be harder to keep clean. So I remembered Casey Davis's tips on function and that really, really helped. Further down in the book or you know, in upcoming chapters, she talks about, and I think her pronouns are she and her, Casey talks about how function is so important to label for ourselves. And a lot of us feel like the way we're functioning is not quite 
in alignment with what other people think and how all of this is a journey of care, not a journey of worthiness because we're already worthy of love and belonging. And that morality portion that I touched upon earlier concerns itself with the goodness or badness of your character and the rightness or wrongness of decisions. It is impossible for kindness or affirmations of others to penetrate your heart when you're thinking, if you only knew. What would it be like to replace the voice that says, ugh, I should really go clean my house right now because it's a disaster with, it would be such a kindness to future me if I were to get up right now and do blank. That task would allow me to experience comfort, convenience, and pleasure later. Ooh, that's so good right? Like that shift from, I need to do this because it's a disaster. Like that does feel like this moral judgment to, it would be kind to myself, my future self, if I were to get up and do this. And I wasn't following that mentality exactly when I started tidying, but it was kind of subtly there because I was thinking about how I felt uncomfortable in my bathroom. So I wanted to feel more comfortable in my bathroom. Now, As I mentioned, I did feel shame and embarrassment about the way my bathroom looked. Like if anyone were to walk in there, it was like, please don't come in my bathroom. And you know, that's actually motivated me a ton where I, before COVID, when I more people would visit me at my home, that's usually when I would do the most cleaning. When I don't have people visiting, I tend not to clean that much. But what if I made it more clean and tidy and functional for myself only? That's a complete shift in the mentality. And I deserve just as much cleanliness, tidiness, and organization as somebody else coming into my home, right? But why do I prioritize their opinions? I think that's because it's that moral side of it. Casey says that no one ever shamed themselves into better mental health. And I think that's so key, right? It's these emotional tools that we can develop to experience the world differently and not as a part of the shame. Ooh, here's a line. Maybe this is the one I was looking for that many self-help gurus over-attribute their success to their own hard work without any regard to the physical, mental, or economic privileges they hold. That was the phrase, the quote I was looking for. And I see this so much in the health and wellness world. I mean, she says it right there. Many self-help gurus, even the word guru makes me feel uncomfortable. There is an episode on the earlier side of this podcast talking about gurus. And ever since I recorded that, I've really avoided using that phrase because it just feels so in the ego and it's so focused on success. And I personally attribute that mentality to privilege and people that don't seem to recognize how much they have and how much success can be due to privileges beyond our control, which Casey shares. Someone who is affected by serious mental illness or systemic oppression has a lot more standing in the way of a happy life than a simple attitude adjustment. Oh, that was another one of those quotes that really hit me because there's a lot of emphasis on that attitude adjustment. And I acknowledge like for myself, what was standing in my way of me cleaning, feeling better? I don't know. My mental health shifts all the time. Some of it just does not feel within my control. And I have a lot of privilege. I have a ton. And I still struggle 
because there's a lot that goes into this. The systemic oppression too is, you know, who am I to say, just do it? You know, (laughs) I can't even believe that those words used to come out of my mouth so much, but I was ignorant. I just really didn't understand systemic oppression. I still have a long way to go. I still have so much to learn about mental illness, mental health, all of these factors. I still have a lot of judgment to peel back. You know, as Casey says, different people struggle differently and the solutions that work for them are highly dependent on not only their unique barriers, but also their strengths, personality, and interests. Many people doling out productivity advice focus on areas where they're naturally gifted, areas where all they needed was a little push or a couple of tips to get themselves unstuck. And that's exactly why I've been really trying to acknowledge that in this episode. The neurodivergence stuff is interesting for me because I've recognized a lot of obstacles that I've had to work through that I didn't even realize were there until embracing the neurodivergence. But along with neurodivergence, because of neurodivergence, I think I have some gifts that other people don't have. Like, Like I said, or I just learned them. I don't know if being naturally gifted is quite right. Maybe just the way my mind works is my natural gift and my mind can think about things from different perspectives that neurotypical or just people that aren't me think of. I don't know. (laughs) To even identify with a natural gift because I've had so much privilege and I've had so much compensation to do for neurodivergence, right? Like just peeling back all those layers is really interesting. But I'm immersed in well-being. That is something I focus on every single day as a coach, as a podcast host, just my personal interest, all these books I read. Like, I guess that's part of my natural gift is loving research and just learning in general. So I have tools constantly. And sometimes all I need is a little push. Sometimes those tips are really helpful for me. And sometimes that helps me get unstuck. But other times, none of that stuff works for me. And that, like I was experiencing last week, no advice in the world could have gotten me to feel any better. Just wasn't feeling good mentally, emotionally. And that's why it's so important to just devise something for ourselves that's customized to, as Casey says, our unique barriers, strengths, and interests, but also recognizing that Some of that might not work and there's no shame in that. Casey says that they're pro-realism and pro-accessibility. And we can do things like saying today is about getting back to functioning. Our brains need to see progress or they get discouraged. So she gets into some tips like things like category cleaning. I think maybe that's what I was doing the other day, giving my brain some quick finish lines to feel good about. Focusing on that functioning, recognizing that care tasks are morally neutral and mess has no inherent meaning. And for example, dishes. Dishes cannot make meaning. Only people can. Dishes don't think. Dishes don't judge. So a pile of dishes in the sink does not mean that you're a failure. So we can take these as opportunities to notice how we speak. And that's interesting too. Like, Maybe just taking the time to clean and reflect on how you're feeling. Or if you're feeling the resistance, like, hey, how am I speaking to myself through this resistance? Like, I'm, I personally am well aware of 
the shame I carry. So noticing those things is a step that self-awareness is is really big. Casey says, you can set up the best systems in the world and they won't change your life if you still hate yourself on days when you can't keep up. So maybe on those days, can you work on not hating yourself? Or as I learned in my well-being coaching training, maybe maybe you're not willing to stop hating on yourself or feeling shame. Maybe you're not there yet. Maybe you just want to acknowledge that you're feeling that. That's a huge part of all of this. And recognizing that nothing's going to change if you're feeling that way. And maybe that's okay. Some people are okay with never changing. And that is their choice. Casey says that what you say to yourself when your house is clean fuels what you say to yourself when it's dirty. If you're good when it's clean, you must then be bad when it's not. Ooh. (laughs) Right? Like... Her point being that I'm a good person. I feel good because my house is clean. Then that indicates that when your house is not clean, then you must be bad and you must not feel good. So what if you can make it more neutral and it's not about being good or bad or even feeling good or bad, right? That's kind of an interesting realization I'm having as I'm sharing this. Like I started off this episode saying that today I feel kind of the opposite that I did and I'm on a higher peak and I'm, you know, my highs and lows, the low was a few days ago and now I'm on the high, so it must be different. But what if I took this piece of advice from Casey and looked at it through a different lens of just kind of being equal? I don't know if that makes sense, but (laughs) what if it's just morally equal? What if there's no moral at all? What if it is neutral. Hmm. Oh, I love this other quote. Good enough is good enough sounds like settling for less. Good enough is perfect means having boundaries and reasonable expectations, meaning that whatever you do, like whatever your good enough is, is actually perfect. It's not just good enough. It's perfect. That's a interesting perspective shift. Because again, like the moral attachment to all that. I mean, that's such a huge key in her book, a functional rather than a moral viewpoint of ourselves. And when we understand what really matters to us in terms of safety, comfort, and happiness, we can begin to let go of others' judgments of how our space must look. And you know what's interesting about that is, as I said, (laughs) since COVID, like rarely does anyone come into my home. Rarely. So why do I still cling on to judgment of how my space must look? I mean, maybe that's trauma. Maybe the fact that I grew up with a mother who placed a lot of moral judgment on how I look and how my home looks, how my bedroom looks, even when I visit my parents, which I think many kids go through, it's all she's my mom is obsessed with cleanliness and maybe that led me to feel rebellious clearly it led to a lot of shame and stress and overwhelm like so much is there and because of that motherly figure playing such a big role in in safety comfort and happiness it's hard to understand what matters to me right like to read this quote again when we understand what really matters to us in terms of safety comfort and happiness we can begin to let go of others judgments of how our spaces must look but we also could look at it the opposite way other way around which is i have to let go of my mother's judgments 
and not attach them to safety, comfort, and happiness. This is part of the perfectionism. And if I can let go of that and define my own safety and comfort and happiness, then I'm not going to care about how other people think of what my space must look. And especially if they're not even here to begin with. Like, (laughs) why do I feel that shame around my bathroom? It's really fascinating. Casey says that all of a sudden, the task isn't about measuring up, but instead about caring for self. That's what happens when we shift. It's not an external measurement of whether we're doing something right. I mean, there's so much. As I mentioned, I highlighted a lot. And this is, I didn't even finish the book yet. I listened to the audiobook, but I often reread in quotes by actually reading the words in the Kindle version. And I'm still learning, sharing the words out loud. Like this is rich. And I didn't mean for this episode to just be about cleaning. Like I said, there's there's lessons here beyond that. I mean, I feel a lot of similar emotions when it comes to exercise. It was something I wanted to mention how I've been on a, a bit of an exercise kick, like momentum wise, for the last week or so. My favorite form of exercise right now, well, I should say within my home is virtual reality. I use this app called Supernatural in the MetaQuest 2. And it's amazing. I rave about it to so many people, but very few people that I know have a MetaQuest. They used to be called the Oculus before Facebook bought it, but or I guess Facebook owned it and then decided to call it the Meta. That's the nerdy background. I love that because I can just... It's literally on the other side of this room. I set up a little mat, put my VR headset on, set choose how much time I want to work out. And I usually work out for like 20 to 30 minutes maximum. And then I have my Apple Watch on and it kind of tracks my steps and all of that. I really enjoy that. But my ultimate favorite is taking walks outside. It's just the neighborhood that I'm in. I don't really enjoy walking around that much. It's kind of annoying. Anyways, the enjoyment, the dopamine of exercise is really key for me. And I have to overcome the barrier to even start. Because part of the executive dysfunction, I believe, is causing me to struggle because I have to like plan something. Like if I'm going to take a walk, I have to plan my outfit. And sometimes just putting on a different outfit to comfortably walk. Like I have a lot of sensory preferences. And this is common for neurodivergent. Like when I walk, I I start by thinking like, okay, what clothes are going to feel good as my body is moving And like, I want it, I could go on and on about this, just a little behind the scenes. There's a lot about like tightness of the clothes, but also I'm outside in public and I want to wear clothes that I find flattering enough in case, I don't know, I run into somebody. I'm not sure. So in my head, just the challenge of the clothes I'm going to wear can take so much emotional energy. That's why virtual reality, I love even though I prefer to be outside, I guess I could do my virtual reality outside, but I prefer to like be moving outside and the nature and all that. The virtual reality has, the program I use is a simulation of nature. It's really cool, but it's not the same. Anyways, the benefit of that is I can wear whatever I want. I still want clothes that feel good. 
like I mentioned, the sensory experience of like how they fit on my body when I do certain moves. For instance, I'm wearing this black shirt right now. As I record this episode, I could not wear this shirt if I were exercising. The more I move in this shirt, the more uncomfortable I get. So I have to like have a very specific attire. And all of those can be big barriers for people. The way my shoes fit, the way my body's feeling that day, the how much energy that I have. I do like to meet the Apple Watch activity minimums. So a lot of these devices, this is probably true for the Fitbit and all these other activity monitors out there. It'll tell me how many calories I've burned, how many times I've stood up and how many times I've done something that counts as exercise. And I like to meet my minimums because I know how much exercise plays a big role, if a major role really in our health. But sometimes looking at those measurements means nothing to me because I'm too drained. And that's the key, right? Like in order to function, I need to focus on taking care of myself. Even though to this kind of tying it into the cleaning side of it, like I can think of my future self and see all the benefits of exercise. I really understand that. But sometimes my present self has the priority and my present self's needs. And I think this, all of this ties into how hard it is just to as the title of the book says, keep house while drowning, right? Like a lot of us feel like we're drowning in life. I would be willing to say most people feel that way. And it seems really prevalent, like through social media, it just seems like so many people feel like they're drowning. And it it's different for each of us, right? Like in general, I wouldn't describe my life as feeling like I'm drowning, but there are moments in which I do. There are days in which I do. Today is not one of those days yet, but it could happen. Like I said earlier, like I have this lingering fear, (laughs) paranoia or something like, when is it going to strike me again? And that's really frustrating. So I try to make the most of the high energy periods and the times where I feel like I can function better than others. And then I'm also working on just keeping a neutral mindset and acknowledging but not letting that shame control me, I think is the big key. So I can perhaps celebrate feeling really good today, but what if in, what if celebrating it was counterproductive? Because if I celebrate feeling good, then the opposite of that would be punishing myself for feeling bad. So that's a fascinating shift or just something to ponder. That's not necessarily the answer, but it has me thinking about it differently, like just removing, looking at it on the spectrum and not so black and white. That's where I'm at. And it was not where I started when this episode began, but certainly a lot to ponder. And I hope that you got some value from that too. So thank you so much as always for listening. I'm going to go do some self-care tasks. I've been working a bunch the last few hours. So I'm going to go have a cup of coffee. I'm going to go lay in bed and watch TikToks and see what the rest of the day holds for me. I'll be back on Friday with another episode. I have just truly, I say this every Monday, but I mean it so much. That's why it's repetitive. I don't repeat things because it's convenient. I repeat things because they're true. And Oh, I'm just looking at the list of people. There's there's some people that I haven't recorded with that I can't wait. There's this one particular person who I met through TikTok. So that's your little 
clue. It's coming out weeks from now. So if you want to find out who it is, I encourage you to subscribe unless it's you're listening to this episode way in the future, in which case you have a lot of guesswork to do. But this guest, just like I feel there's so much happiness and that's why I invited them on the show. They have interesting perspectives to share. We're going to nerd out a lot. And there's some people that I I don't really know yet, but I can't wait to get to know them. And, And it's just such a joy. And I've told you before that some days, actually every time, almost every time, unless I'm insanely excited about a guest, I'm just going to be fully honest with you. I struggle energetically to gear up for an episode. Like I dread it. I see it on my schedule and I'm like, oh no. Even doing this episode, I felt that. Uh, Granted, this is the second podcast episode I've recorded today and it it takes a lot out of me. That's why I'm going to go lay in bed to recover. But, you know, I usually dread recording this podcast. But once I start doing it, it feels really good. So it's just like everything I've talked about today. Like I dread pretty much anything that feels like effort and work. That's just the reality of it for me. And I think a lot of people feel that way. I think that's why burnout is so prevalent. Or maybe we feel that way. Wait, do we feel that way because we're burnt out? Or do we feel burnt out because we feel that way? That makes sense. Something else for you to ponder. I'll see you in Friday, perhaps. Wishing you all the very best with your own journey. I'll link to the books I reference, mostly How to Keep House While Drowning. That'll be in the show notes for this episode at wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. And there'll be links to any episodes I mentioned in the past, like last week's episode, as well as how to subscribe to the show so you can stay up to date with future episodes. And wishing you all the very best. Bye. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. 